Great to, to welcome you here today. Hey, um, before we get into our message for today, let me just uh, w- want to indicate to you that you know, we have a lot of great stuff that's going on at Hope Chapel, and we put it in your Sunday morning handout. So what you get inside the bulletin on Sunday mornings are the monarch notes, right? We just give you the, the bare nuts and bolts. But there's ways that you can get lots more information than just what you see here on the, the handout. Um, if you're signed up for our e-letter, uh, you, which came out on early on Friday morning, a lot more detail in there. If you're not re- routinely receiving that, we'd love to sign you up for that. You can sign yourself up through our website, or we could do that for you, etc. And there's a lot more, more information, and, there's, and you can even get some of that right out in the lobby on our computer kiosk, as well as uh, you can sign up for a number of things. And so we want you to be aware of that. And, and also, this little tab on the end is designed for you to be able to communicate with us, you can sign up for anything that you'd like to be a part of right through this. Request, get the e-letter. Certainly share with us ways that we can be in prayer with you, those kinds of pieces. You can even give us an address or a phone number because or a new email address and those kinds of things. So take that with you. And we've even given you a spot so that you can take notes on this morning's message if you'd like to. Hey, I want to ask you to do something for me. In particular, I'd love for you to pray this week. Um, we're going to start a new series next week, and we don't really do a lot of promotion at, at Hope in terms of our, our sermon series, but I, I, I feel like this is a, a particularly significant series for us to be dealing with. Um, one of the things that I have become convinced of is that there are a vast, vast majority of people, just, just a large number of people, who, really, who are really being held hostage by their past. You know, they're, 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 there's... You know, they're, they're really longing for a, a richer, fuller, more joyful, uh, a, a, a more peaceful, a, a more, you know, less brokenness, more healing kind of thing, kind of future. And, and the thing that's holding them back is, is really the fact that they're not deeply experiencing forgiveness. You know, forgiveness doesn't really change our past per se, but it is the key to opening up a different future. And we're going to be spending some time beginning next week talking about the power of forgiveness, the power of experiencing God's forgiveness, the power of being able to forgive ourselves, the power of being able to forgive other people, and right on down the line. And it's going to be a great journey, and and we felt so strongly about this. We've actually sent this out. It's going to arrive in the mailboxes this week to 16,000 different households in our region. And uh, we've also made them available for you to grab out in the lobby just to remind yourself, to remind others, uh, to invite others to come be a part of it. You, you, you have to walk right by them. We've got them on the doors as you go out. And we'd love for you to grab one of those, but certainly be in prayer uh, for God to use the series and for God to really use it to bless others. And I want to begin today our time of, you know, we always have a significant time in our services, which we set aside to hear from God. We believe that the way that we really experience the new life that God has given and is giving to us in Jesus Christ is for us to interact with his truth and then translate that truth into life, that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So we always spend a great deal of time in our services trying to hear what God is saying to us. And I want to begin today with with a story, Um, and you know, this, this woman who was really kind of moving out of young adulthood, just starting to kind of emerge into her middle-aged years, and it was causing her to reflect a little bit. And, and so she went and 
and, and connected with a pastor that she had come to trust. And as she showed up, she was really kind of sharing her story with him. And what she was communicating to him was, you know, that she had, she had been a believer now for a number of years. She had, she'd had a moment earlier in, as she kind of entered into a young adulthood where she really came to understand her sin, that you know, sin didn't have to be awful to make it where we were incapable of being righteous in the eyes of God and that she needed the Savior, she needed to be forgiven, and she had asked God for that forgiveness that had been provided through Jesus Christ. And, and, um, and she had been seeking to, to live out her life of faith as she journeyed along, but she recognized over that journey that there were aspects of the Christian life that she was just really not able to master. There were parts of her life that needed to be changed, and she just was not able to really experience any deep level of change. And she had tried a lot of different things to make it happen. She, at one point, she felt maybe it was her, her church. You know, so she decided to change churches, and she went to a Pentecostal church where there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, a, a lot of um, expectation and anticipation. She had spoken in tongues. She had had prophecy said over her. But, but even with all of that, there didn't seem to be any real freedom from the things that she was struggling with. So then she tried to she'd go the other route. She decided she'd really dig in deep to the Word. Instead of getting away from the enthusiasm side, let's, let's get into the heavy-duty content. So she started taking some classes, Bible classes, where, you know, that you, when you showed up, you got a notebook and you had homework to do and, you know, and there was a test at the end and all that kind of stuff and really forcing her to go deep into the Word of God. And she learned a lot of things, but she didn't necessarily experience the freedom in these areas of her life that she was struggling with. And so... She had settled back in with this church, with this pastor that she trusted, and she had come to him. She said, she said I, I, I don't know what to do. She said, I, I know there is more of God than I'm getting, and I want to get all of God that I can possibly get. How do I do that? And, and this pastor, I think, wisely and correctly counseled her in that journey. You know, what, what he said to her was, you know, when you became a child of God through your faith in Jesus Christ, when you turned away from sin and you embraced faith and you were going to follow after Christ, God put his spirit within you. That's how we become new creatures in Christ. That's, why we're, that's how we become born again. It's, you have God within you. You have all the God that you're ever going to get. It's not about getting more of God. The issue that you're really struggling with is, how do you give more of yourself to God? How do you give yourself to God more completely? And I believe as we're working through this series, and we're going to conclude it today, entitled Above and Beyond, this is the message that God has for us. It's, about, it's this challenge of giving ourselves, of, 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 of making the primary focus of our lives and the greatest joy of our lives that of serving God. And it's in that context that God really releases 
this environment in which we can experience is above and beyond. We've been memorizing a passage of Scripture together, and I'd love for it to come up on the screen and invite you to say it with us. Maybe some of you got it mostly memorized already, and you want to close your eyes and test yourself. That's all right. You know, it'd be great. But if not, you can keep your eyes open and cheat. We'll let you do that today. Um, We call that grace here at Hope Chapel, so you can just cheat a little bit. But let's say this passage of Scripture together. Now, to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, who he had a powerful relationship with, he's telling them that, that there are aspects of the activity of God in our lives that are possible, but you and I can never be, have enough faith nor enough imagination to really ever ask God for those things or to think those things. And as God does those things through the power that's at work within us, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, the all of God that we get, that God is able to bring himself glory in the church and in in our individual lives for Christ Jesus. And that goes on forever to all generations. And so we've been having this dialogue with God about what does it really mean to put ourselves in a faith position where God can do in us that which we aren't even capable of dreaming of or even asking for. And, and, the, and there's been three points, and I want to do just a bit of review because I think it leads to where we're talking about today. And the first is, is this spirit that God has put within us, his presence within us, this power, as Paul describes it, according to the power that's at work within us, that person of the Holy Spirit is always saying to us, there's more. There's more. This woman sitting in this pastor's office got it right. There was more. And she's saying, there, there's got to be more to this. I, I want to experience that more. The Spirit of God is within us saying there is more. And the, the first question that God asks us is, can you feel it? When you lived Monday through Saturday out this past week, did you feel the presence of God in your life saying there's more? There's more. There's more to God. There's more to living. There's more. To, is the, there's more. Did you feel it? And that's the first voice. It's in that, when we have that, that voice of God and we're responding to it, saying there is more, we open ourselves up for God to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Now, the second truth that God showed us was this, is that the primary way, the greatest way that he shows his glory in the church is to a life that's changed by the gospel. We just got done praying for students as they may have an opportunity as a result of taking a step of faith and joining with others, maybe being by themselves, praying around their school's flagpole on Saturday, Wednesday morning, then they might have an opportunity to share their faith. The greatest, the greatest way that God displays his glory in the church is when a person moves from death to life through their faith in Jesus Christ, when they become new creatures in Christ, when they're born again. And we create the opportunity for that glory to go on display, for the above and beyond to happen, when we simply just tell other people about Jesus. We just share with other people. The third truth that we saw was that God displays his glory through the church. First it was his in the church, but he displays his glory through the church 
in the way that we love one another. You know, Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the challenge then for us is that the the way God's glory gets displayed through the church and the way that we love one another is when we force the world to admit that the only reason they act like that is because they follow Jesus. And if the world isn't looking at the way that we love one another and saying the only, way, the only reason they're doing that is because they follow Jesus, then we're really not creating a context in where God's above and beyond all that we ask or think can really happen. But the last one is this, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is that we, we create the context in our personal lives when you and I find in our lives that we embrace, we have, there's a renovation of our heart that goes on, if you will, that, our, that the greatest glory that we seek in our lives is to serve other people in the name of Jesus. I'd love for you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, using one of our pew Bibles, our text today is going to be on 856. If you're too lazy to turn the pages or swipe along on your phone or your tablet or whatever. We are going to put the passage up in the Scripture, but I just assume you have it out in front of you as well. And um, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that in some ways on the surface is incredibly simple, but when we process it out in terms of what does it really mean by the way we do life, it's, it, it is, it's a lifelong journey of getting it right. And we know it's a lifelong journey of getting it right because Jesus has already taught the disciples about this a couple of times before and he's having to come back to it again when they're at their final moments. We're going to just read verses 41 through 45, but there's some experience going on before it. Let me just start with Mark chapter 10, verse 41. Similar accounts over in Matthew and in Luke. It says, when the other 10 disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Just to fill you a little bit on the backstory, Jesus had been talking about you know, the fact that he was going to go to Jerusalem and die and be resurrected and whatever. The disciples had no idea what that meant. But this is what they did know. Something big was about ready to happen, and they thought Jesus' kingdom was coming. So, the, <laughs> so James and John, along with their mother, and we don't know if they pushed their mother or their mother was pushing them, but they had a connection with Jesus in terms of family relationship, they come to Jesus and they say, we want to ask you to do something for us. He said, when you become king, when people walk into your throne room, we want to be sitting on the right and on the left. We want you to give us the positions where we can have the greatest authority to make a difference in the world. So then the other 10, Jesus tells them, say, you know, I, I, Listen, can you drink the cup that I got? Yeah, well, I can do that. He said, you know what? To give those seats out, that's not my prerogative. That belongs to the Father. You know? He said, but, but you know, you, you're, you're going to fall. And, and when the other disciples heard what James and John had done, they, they, got, they got ticked. They's mad, right? And probably they're mad because they didn't think of it first, right? You know, I, I should have gotten there first, right? Or, you know, whatever. And, and so Jesus, and he's right at the end of his life. He has a gathering. He says, Jesus called them over. He said, all right, guys, time for, let's huddle up, time for a learning moment, right? 
So listen up. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles. In other words, you realize that those who we glorify because of their position, right? You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they dominate over them. And their men of high positions exercise a power over them. In other words, we look at it and say, when what we celebrate and what we pursue and what we value, what the world values, is to be in a position where you can control and order and etc. others. And then he goes on to say in verse 43, but it is not, but it must not, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary. So this is a revolution. It's a renovation. This is a transformation. This isn't just micromanaging a little bit of our value system. God needs to take what was there, totally throw it away, and put something totally new in its place. And this is what he says. Whoever wants to be great among you, in other words, if you really want to achieve for God, if you, if you want to bring God glory, if you want to experience God's glory in your life, you must be your, your servant. You must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first has to become a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, Jesus is, is, is taking the world and is turning it upside down. He says, you know what? The most important part, the person that you ought to be amazed at the most is not the person who's at the top, but the person who's at the bottom. At least by the world's perspective. What He's saying what, what ought to drive your heart is not trying to get to a position where you've risen up, but that you've worked your way into your position that you can serve as many people as possible. Now, my objective today in talking about this issue of creating this above and beyond environment in our own lives is not to try to talk you into in all kinds of new roles of service. I'm not trying to fill up all the empty slots in our Kids Connect staff sheet. That's not my objective today. I'm not trying to talk you into to, you know, uh, you know, all kinds of new roles of, of commitments and, and service roles. That's not what I'm trying to talk you into. What I am trying to talk you into is, is, is to change what you're really passionate about in your life. That you will change what you really find your greatest joy in. You know, Paul, Paul in the book of Romans, when he's, he's lay, he spent 11 chapters laying out what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and he said, therefore, my brothers, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Man, because of what God has done for you in life, the number one passion in your life ought to be able to worship, should be to worship God because you, you, the number one thing that you're after is serving God. You know, um, I, I love sports movies, most sports movies, not all. The Miracle on Ice, really good, the greatest game ever played. And I, I must have seen the movie The Rookie at least 10 times. Anybody ever seen that movie, The Rookie? You know? It's a story, just real recap, just a little recap, just because I want to, all right? It's, there's this guy, Jim Morris, you know, out of high school, whatever, he, he, has, he starts his pro career as a baseball player, 
things don't go quite right, and so he, dr- he drops out of the minor leagues, and he finds himself married with a couple of kids coaching a high school team in the Dust Bowl area of Texas, right, just out in the middle of nowhere. And his team is just sloppy, unmotivated. They have no expectations they can get anywhere. And, and he challenges them to care, to, to give it all and just see what would happen. And as a part of that, they turn around back on him and say, well, if, if we get on a winning streak and we actually achieve what you think we're capable of achieving of, then you'll go and try out again to be a pitcher because you're really throwing hard when you're throwing batting practice. So not thinking anything. He said, all right, I'll do that. Well, lo and behold, as the movie unfolds, right, and the experience unfolded, they actually win the district championship, et cetera, and, and he's forced to go to this tryout, and lo and behold, he's throwing harder than he ever has, bef- behold, he has before, but by baseball standards, he's an old man by now. So they decided to sign him up to a contract, and he leaves his wife and his two kids behind in Texas, and, and he starts working his way up towards the majors, the real minor leagues, et cetera, finally gets to But dressed towards the tail end, you know, he says, this, this is stupid. You know, I got a wife, I got a kids at home, I got bills that are piling up, I have a potential new job to be in a different place, to, to go teach in a much bigger high school, make more money, all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I need to stop fooling myself, I need to give this up and go. And while he's having this crisis of faith, and he's talked to his wife and his manager and that kind of stuff, and he... he he takes in a Little League baseball game, and he has a change of heart. So the next scene is he, he shows up in a locker room the next day. You know, and he walks in the door, and there's a guy on the, na- on the team that he's close to by the name of Brooksy, and he says, you know what, Brooksy? You know what we get to do today? We get to play baseball. Some of you say, I'm not doing the impression very well, but, but he's just all rejuvenate, rejuvenated again by the love of the game, right? Just for the love of the game. I got to tell you, I think what God wants us to do when he's teaching us passages like this is that when you and I get up in the morning, we're saying to ourselves, get what we get to do today. We get to serve God. And that's our passion. That's our joy. Guess what we get to do today? We get to serve God. Guess what I get to do? I get to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. I get to parent my children as great gifts that God has given to me. I get to serve God. I I get to to love my neighbor as myself. You know, I get to to love my colleagues as people who are made in the image of God and and valuable and precious to him. And you can just kind of keep going. We wake up and God... God wants it not to be, oh, I got to do that. He wants us to wake up and say, and our passion, what energizes us, the love of our life is that we get to serve God and we get to serve other people in the name of God. That's the kind of heart environment that opens up the above and beyond all that we can ask and think in our lives. What made Jesus get out of bed Christmas morning in heaven and climb into the skin of an infant and go into the, into, into, into the manger in Bethlehem was because he got up and said, man, I get to serve many and give my life as a ransom. That's what was energizing him, was his desire to give it away. And he calls us to the same thing. 
to serve others and what should be our passion. I'm not asking you about your commitments and how many hours you've got lined up in your white space in your calendar. And that's not, I'm t- is, is, is the passion of our heart. Do we look back at the course of a week and say, man, I got to serve God this week. That was great. That's what God's calling us to. Now, I'm not a dummy, okay? I know you well enough. I know many of your stories. And, and you've got a lot of stuff going on in your lives. Some of you are dealing with significant health issues. Or you've got family members that are going through significant health issues. And it feels like you're carrying this huge weight, right? Others of you are, are, are struggling vocationally vocationally or just getting adjusted to new jobs or adjustment in finances or you're trekking through school and trying to manage all that stuff. And you think, you know, I, this just feels like a huge weight that just sits on us and it's trying to crush us. And, and, and I'm not here to tell you that this is easy because Jesus said it's not supposed to be like that. On the contrary, it actually does take real life change to make this happen. But here's, here's what I want you to see. I, I, I want you to understand that this was what you were built for in God. That this isn't something that you have to manufacture. As a child of God who has experienced forgiveness through the, the life of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, experienced a new life that comes through his resurrection, you have actually been built to do this. Let me give you a few points. And, you know, this might be a place where you want to take a, a couple of notes. But let me give you a few points related to this. Because I don't want this to sit on us like a lead balloon, right? I, I, I want us to look at this and say, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. Because <laughs> there is nothing like having a passion to say, you know, I, I look at people and, and I see their life journeys. And the ones that seem to have the greatest joy are the ones who truly delight and serving other people in the name of Christ. But oh, that's their greatest delight. Here's some truths I want you to see. Here's the first thing. That you and I were ransomed so we could serve. You know, Jesus came, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason why God ransomed us from sin, the reason why we've been forgiven in Jesus Christ by our faith in him, the, why, the reason we've become new creatures in Christ the reason we've been born again, you can throw any term in there that makes, that, you know, greases your wheel, you know, that you want to use, right? The reason why, look at this passage. So we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. The reason you were ransomed, the reason why God stepped out of heaven and then stepped into your life through faith in Jesus Christ is that he was changing you and creating you for good works to serve. It's like God went to the, you know, to his engineering department in heaven, right? And he's get the, the, the lead engineers together, the angels, and said, you know, they said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to create a whole new group of people through faith in my son, Jesus Christ. And it, so I, I want to design them. I said, well, what do you want them to be able to do? He says, you know what? I want them to be able to worship me by the way that they serve. And they designed our natures in Christ specifically, and that most of that, that's all, you know, just, you know, didn't, I don't think there's an engineering department in heaven, right? I, so anyway, just to make that clear. So you engineers are starting to drool at the edge of your mouth, say, yeah, you know, but, the, but, but God created us in Christ so that we could serve. That's what we were ransomed for in our greatest delight. Second truth I want you to see. 
You've actually been gifted to serve. God made sure that every single one of us had something to use to serve with. You know, and I could go through all the passages and all the different gifts that are given, et cetera, and that kind of stuff. And, and, but just look at this statement from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now, to each one, I think that means everybody, right? The way I, I think that means everybody. Everybody's a new creature in Christ. Now, to each one, the manifestation or the presentation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God gives every single one of us a manifestation, a gift of the Spirit to be used for the common good. That means it's got to be shared. I don't know how it becomes common if it's not shared. God has gifted us to share. Not only that, God has commanded us to serve others. You know, Peter put it this way in, first, in, his, in his first epistle. He says, you know, based on the gift each one has received, use it. Use it. Use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. God has ransomed you and invested in you and ordered you to serve in his name. You can do this. We can do this. We can have the number one delight in our lives to be, I just am thrilled to be able to serve God by serving others. Not done yet. A couple more points, all right? And we're moving towards the end here. I want you to see as well that the church is engineered so that you can serve. The reason why we do all of this every single week, every single day, morning, noon, and night, the reason we do this is so that you and I can serve. Paul put it this way in the book of Ephesians. He says, and and he personally, that's a reference to Jesus, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, pastors and teachers, and this is why he did that. He engineered all of that so that you can be trained, you can be equipped for the training of the saints. That's us. You know, we really are the saints. You know, you can start calling me Saint Neil. That'd be pretty good, right? And uh, we can say that one of, our, one of our ushers this morning changed his name tag after the first service, and it was Saint Jeff after that, right? All of us in Christ are saints. God has equipped every single one of us. He's trained every single one of us who are the saints, the people who've been changed, for what? For the work of ministry. The whole church is engineered as a means to prepare and to give you the opportunity to serve through. That's what it's about. One last truth I want you to see related to this about why you and I should adopt as a passion of our heart, the thing that gives us the biggest thrill, the most bounce in our step, the most fuel in our tank, and I'll throw all the other cliches in there that I can come up with, is, is serving the Lord. Listen to this. The world needs us to serve. John describes the world as a dark place. And the light has come into the world, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. And then Jesus looks at us and says, you are the light of the world. The world needs us to serve. Without us, there is no light in the world. There's just darkness. God desires for us to serve because the world needs us to serve. Now, I want to come back to what my heart is today. I'm not trying to guilt you into serving. That might be next week. No, I'm only... You know, but I, 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 that's, that's not my objective. But what, what God is saying to us is, I want to do stuff in your life 
that defies human description. I want to do stuff in the church that defies human description, but I can only do that if your passion is my passion. And that passion is to serve others in the name of Christ. So we create this above and beyond context in our lives when, when the thing that we glory in the most is the opportunities and the experiences that we have to serve other people. And like I said at the beginning, this isn't something you get kind of revved up in a sermon. You think, you know, you join me and have your fourth cup of coffee and you'll be all excited, you know, the cafe, and you walk out and it's all changed. Jesus had to talk to the disciples many times about this to get it right. This is a journey of you and I going from the ways in which we get others to serve us to transforming our very heart so that what energizes us, what gets us up out in the bed in the morning, what fuels our day with energy and expectation and, and, and hope and, 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 and purpose is that we get to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. That becomes the passion of our heart. And when that is our passion, God's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Let's pray together. God, there's a lot here to absorb. A lot to absorb. But the stakes are really high. Not just for the world. Not just for the church. But for us. So God, I pray right now that that your spirit would give us the ability to hear what we've heard and to bring it into our hearts, into our minds. And that process of moving to the contrary, moving to that which is different, that which is revolutionary, which is countercultural, God, that that journey would start and it would never end. That we might truly delight in worshiping you through our service. In the name of Jesus, we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. Haven't the, the team's done such a great job for us this morning. They're going to come back and lead us in our closing song. We always like to celebrate the God who has spoken to us. We also get a chance to worship him through our gifts. And so I invite you as our ushers pass the place, maybe to place your offerings there. Certainly share with us your connection cards, ways that we can be in prayer with you or serve you in the weeks coming up. Let's stand and sing as we conclude our time of worship this morning. <laughs>